Welcome to CarePod, a safe place to educate, inspire, and renew the caregiver. Listen in with our host, Dr. Kipley Bell, as she interviews different experts along the caregiving journey. So I am here with one of my faves, Miss Tipa Snow. How are you today? I am doing well today. How about you? Very well. Very well. Positive approaches to care. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Uh, so tell me about you. Okay. For, for those of, for, you know, I, I am your one of your biggest fans. But for, for those of us who don't know who Tipa Snow is. Yeah. So I, I grew up in West Virginia, um, sort of, sort of tells you a little bit. My grandma was a big part of my growing up. She was my, um, watcher caregiver for a bit when I was younger and then my folks split. And so we moved to Pittsburgh with my mom and there I actually was the older sister for my sister. I have a brother who's immediately younger. And then my younger sister who was 10 years younger, uh, who developed a brain tumor. Wow. Very rapidly progressing brain tumor that they irradiated, but back then they weren't real good at it. So she then had severe, she wasn't supposed to live. She did. Um, so she stayed at about age two and a half, three for her entire lifetime until she passed away in her fifties. Yeah. Now, in addition to that, my grandfather on the other side moved in when I was a kid um, after his mom, his wife, my grandma on that side died uh, due to rheumatoid arthritis complications. How she has really severe rheumatoid arthritis. Uh, and he had been her carer. And that's when we discovered, oh, um, <laughs> there's something going on here. And yeah. I was young. I mean, I was really young, but I actually could work with him better than my mom could. My mom, very, very much a phys ed very uh, rigid and flexible. She and my granddad went, <laughs> with each other. And I was like, that's not working. <laughs> How old were you about at that time? About, uh, about eight to 12, between eight and 12 is when it really started, you know, like really started adding up. And it was like, oh, oh boy. Okay. <laughs> and so by the time I was a young teenager, I was pretty good at helping my grandfather who had, Looking back on it, he had black lung disease during um, during the depression, and so he had vascular dementia. I mean, but he didn't know. He had right. no idea. He's just weird. I mean, he would get these things, and it was like, "What is this about?" And you know, like <sighs> moments where where is my dinner? It is. Right. <laughs> it's like uh mom's not here grandpa i mean <laughs> what can i tell you <laughs> it's like, i'm leaving this is ridiculous <laughs> it's like uh-oh <laughs> what are we gonna do with this oh grandma maybe i'll leave no one will be here right well, i'll stay but i'm not like so okay mom i need to learn how to cook not well might i add but i did learn how to cook how so guess what that? dinner was on the table at five <laughs> So life went from that there. The butt. Yeah, yeah. So besides cooking, what what was an early skill that you couldn't coin then, but yeah. that you could look back and say, you know what, that that's what has framed my career thus far. Yeah. So um, when things don't work, I'm still 
trying to figure out how to get it to work. So my mom was trying, my grandfather also liked to chew tobacco and he used to chew tobacco and spit. And when he first moved in, he would be in the basement and there was a, there was a can down there and he spit and then it was a coffee can. You covered it up and you took it out and got rid of it. But he got, so he would just walk around and spit on the floor as he was walking. And I could tell by your face. <laughs> yeah, because I'm thinking you're. <laughs> and so she tried, her first try was to take, take um, a cup and give it to him and tell him to spit in the cup. And he, and he would. He would spit the cup. He'd say, Dad, spit the cup, spit the cup. And then after a while, he'd go, oh, God, and drink it. Oh, wow. Wow. So, so I said, oh, I don't think, Mom, I, I. So what I did is I put a rocking chair in front of the, the, the what's it say, the door, the sliding glass door onto the back patio. And I put a rocking chair, I put, I put uh, towels down around it. And he would sit and watch the birds at the bird feeder and the squirrels. And he'd spit on the towels, but then you could clean the towels up. And it kept him from moving around so much. It got him spitting in a way that, you know, yeah, it was gross, but you could manage it as opposed yeah, to him yeah. just spitting in. area, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So that was sort of how my brain works. It's like, okay, what can I change? What can't I change? And I got to give up on what I can't fix. I mean, I can't fix him, but I also can't fix my mom. So how am I going to make this work? And so like, okay, wonder if she could live with this. Wonder if we could make this work. And so that, that desire to get it to work because it's what you got. I mean, it is what it is. What are you going to do with it? And I think that's always been, and I'm sort of a risk taker. So it's like, okay, well, let's try it. And I believe, you know, you get further with trying something than you do saying, well, that won't work. It's like, okay. Yeah, yeah. When you so, make a mistake, what'd you learn? Right, right. So what would you, what do you think in the climate of medicine we're doing well versus what we're not doing well? When it comes to the world, particularly of uh, people who are living with brain change, one of the things that we have a lot of trouble with is we want to define it as this is what they have. And it's like, brains don't work like that. I mean, brains are are certainly, they have structure to them, but they also have this amazing chemistry to them. And so I don't think there are static states of ability. And I think one of our biggest challenges is letting go of this idea that we can, if we know exactly what they can do right now, then we can label them. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, but, you know, in an hour, they might be able, they might be very different. So I think it's better if we can respond to what we pick up on and we notice. I think people can be really good at noticing things, but there's a desire to fix the person and try to get them to be different rather than looking at the environment and some of the other variables that we have a better shot at doing something with. And, you know, and helping that care provider, that that care person see the situation as a situation, not that person is just you need to get her to sleep. (laughs) And it's like, okay, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so what all have you tried already? It's like, wow, doesn't seem like that's working real well. All right. 
I'm wondering if having somebody with her so you can sleep is maybe something that makes more sense for right now as a first step. I'm not saying I'm not going to do it, but you know, like, where's the real challenge here? You're exhausted. That's the real issue. You're exhausted. And I get it. <laughs> so is she, but she doesn't know it. And trying to convince her with her brain change, I'm not sure is the best first step. Let's get you in a better place. So your brain's working a little better. Right. And let's we have less challenges as an individual. Yeah. Right. Who can, who can be up with her at night? Because we can give them some things to try with her at night while you're resting. Mm-hmm. Do you have that? Is that a possibility? I mean, I think sometimes we want to do like this thing. Like, is there a pill for that? Is there a, is there a treatment for that? Is there mm-hmm. something, some little thing we can manipulate or do so we don't have to deal with it? Yeah. I'm like, I can give it to you at 8 a.m. and at 4 p.m. And then in between, I'm not responsible. Yeah. Like, Eat all the cheesesteaks you want. And here's your lipid lowering agent. Yeah, I get it. I get it. I get exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I don't want to change my lifestyle. So can you just fix them? Can you fix what's wrong? Because I don't really want to change. It's like, mm, they're mm-hmm. changing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Got to tell you, I think we're going to have to change. Yeah. Now, I saw, uh, I, I don't remember if it was a TikTok or something you did recently where, you know, the person is having audiovisual hallucinations or thinking something's coming out of the vent and you do this yeah. talking about acknowledging that this is indeed happening for the person. And, you know, that was huge for me, especially as a clinician, because patients at bedside and, you know, it, it almost feels inhumane or almost like a, in a mocking nature that you're saying, mm-hmm. yes, I do see the monkeys. I see yeah. them climbing yeah. the tree, you know, so then where do you go to next? Okay. You've so for me, Yeah. And so this is the tricky part. It's like, wow. So monkeys climbing the tree. Are you worried about them? Or are you just curious about them? See? And so what I haven't actually said is I see them. So it's a tricky transition. And a lot of people, you know, it's really easy to miss that because I never agreed that I saw monkeys. But what I said is, wow, you're seeing monkeys and they're climbing the trees. Are you concerned about them? Or are you just curious? Because what I'm trying to sort through, okay, is this something that's just interesting to their brain? And I shouldn't, I mean, I don't need to worry too much about it. It's just occupying their brain. Now, what I am curious about is if I engage them in something, can I get their brain to be less interested in the monkeys climbing the trees? Because mostly they're bored out of their board and their brain is making crap up. Or are they, is there something about monkeys and trees and going to attack me? And is there something about that that I need to pay attention to and create a safety net for? You know, I don't know unless I'm curious enough about what they think they're seeing that I'm not seeing. And if somebody says, do you see them? I'll say, hmm, I'm not seeing them right now, but I, I absolutely believe you that you did. I mean, I don't, I'm not going to argue with your eyes because I can't. I mean, right, right. I see you. I see you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's my way of accepting a reality isn't necessarily the reality I'm experiencing, but boy, they sure are. And for me to deny it, it's like, well, who died and made me God? You know, that's, it's just not true. It's like, well, from where I'm standing, you know, I'm not seeing those monkeys, but if they are, woo, is it worrying them or are they okay with it? Got it. Yeah. Got it. What are your top 10 themes that you've seen Mm -hmm. over your career that Mm -hmm. caregivers seem to repetitively circle back to in terms of the challenges that they face? 
I don't have any time. So I talk about five minute intervals that people need to allow themselves five minutes, set a timer and move away for five minutes. Well, I can't. I mean, if you won't allow your five minutes for yourself, I don't know how you're taking care of someone else well. Because in a 60-minute time, you, you 55 devoted to somebody else, you've got to give yourself five. Because if you don't, gradually you're going to run out of everything that makes you effective as that care person. And many of many of my folks are in it for the long haul. Mm-hmm. And, and so we've got to give ourselves permission to take five and to not feel guilty about the five. Just like I've got to have five for whatever it is. And I that to me is probably building it in from the very beginning. I mean, you deserve five out of an hour. And yeah, people yeah. Want, I mean, the number of bladders I watch over time <laughs> is like, you know, you can pee really quick, but not if you hold it for a long, long time. That's really a bad habit to get into. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So speaking of beginnings, you know, in my Facebook group, I had, we're on the continuum. I mean, we have... Uh-huh you know, are 40 yep. to 50s that they, they might not be caregiving per se, but, you know, it's on the radar. It's what should I be doing in my own life yep. to get my house in order so that I'm not a burden on my children, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Or people like myself that are sandwiched between or those that, you know, are, uh, yeah. they are chronologically old, but they're savvy enough to, want to gain knowledge about the caregiving space. Um, What are those proactive strategies that you recommend? So one of the things is to take a look at your lifestyle. And what about your lifestyle is health promotional? And, you know, what is it? Because if you're really wedded to some habits that you have, some routines that you have, and they're really unhealthy habits, asking yourself, would I be willing to change anything about those? Or what are the areas I am willing to make change in? Uh, whether it's sleep and sleep hygiene and sleep patterns, whether it's exercise, whether it's dietary and what you eat and how much you eat and when you eat. I mean, but looking at those very, and then social connections. If you're very slim on social connections, are you willing or able to do some work in that social connecting? And then what are your fiscal resources? Do you Do you know about how expensive all this stuff is? And have you done any thinking about yourself and what you're planning? I mean, we have long-term health insurance that I got way back when, when it was reasonable. I mean, this was, I mean, mean, because I'm in my, past my mid 60, (laughs) I'm past 65. So that I, I have that, but if I didn't have that, I would be a lot more worried than I am, you know, because that in and of itself is at least somewhat of a safety net because, you know, I'm a working stiff. It's not like, you know, we have like huge wads of money in the background here. So it's even if you have that, it doesn't necessarily equate to a good quality care program for yourself or somebody else. Um, So I think really looking at what you've got and what you care most about and what you're willing to do something about. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, because now's a good time when we're in this, even me at this slot, I'm still at the beginning stage of really looking at myself and going, okay, what am I doing? That's not so good for me and would be a challenge for people to work with me. And what would be something that would make this easier, better? Have I had any of these conversations? Have we actually had like, these are my brothers, 
And these are really important to me. And this is, I think, let's talk about who might be my best person to make choices that are consistent with what I would have made, because it's not going to necessarily be the person that I'm wedded to. You're right. You know, yeah. that's just not probably going to be it. Right. So, but that doesn't mean I don't love that person. It just means they're not a good match for decision making when it comes to what I would I mean. We've, we've been different people our entire marriage, you know? Yes. I get that. I do a lot of teaching around that within siblings and mm-hmm. families. Mary is going to absolutely melt down if mm-hmm. dad is in a crisis. So oh, we're yeah. going to choose Ron to handle <laughs> end of life decision making. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. you know what? I, you know, I'm not the one to handle the, handle the fiscals, but you know what? John should handle the fiscals and I'll handle the hands on, um, you know, for mom. Now for dad, that's a whole nother story. So really thinking about, okay, so if this were to happen, do we even have a game plan at all? Right. Are we run around blind thinking, oh no, that's way down the road. And it's like, and then you run into people with young onset and you'll go, and it wasn't. <laughs> But you never know. I mean, that's the thing. I think if COVID has taught us nothing else, it surely has taught us there are no guarantees. It's the truth. You know, so, you know, who would have thought you going into work, you better have your game plan ahead. Absolutely. You don't know if you're coming home. You don't know yeah. if you're going to come home. You don't yeah. know how you're going to come home. And so, you know, oh, yeah, no, we'd want everything. And it's like, really? Is that what she would have said? No. Right. Well, right. we never asked. Oh, boy, that's a tough spot to be in when we never talked. And now I'm yeah. having to decide yeah. stuff. Mm-hmm. Even so, you know that I, I have to admittedly say those, you know, packets from the funeral home that say, oh, what's your favorite? What song do you want sung? What's your favorite? Drive? I mean, it's important, you know, but it's mm-hmm. like all oh, the the idea of having to go there but it, it is yeah. you're, you're right because you just don't know yeah well you, you can know, even those. start with simple things like i can say so tell me what are five smells that you would absolutely typically enjoy and what are five smells that turn you off completely and this is not about dying this is about living so what are some things that really i should maybe try if something were to change for you, these are my go-tos to at least try to start somewhere. And these are the things I need to tune people in. Uh -uh, Don't go there. And we call it like a sensory story. Like what's your story about yourself? Because these are things that we do ourselves without thinking much about. Right. Like I don't like my music really loud, but I like to be able to hear the words. If I'm listening to don't try so soft that I can't listen to the words because it's really annoying. And if we're talking, turn it off. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like some people can handle all of that you know, mm-hmm. stimulation mm-hmm. and others. Yeah. I'm yeah. Gonna I mean, keep me by myself in a room with peace and quiet. <laughs> right. That's right. You know, knowing that, and it's like, if I come looking for something, you know, don't be so over. Oh, Hey, look who came out. Like, Hey, something I can get you. You just throw it about. Right. I, I see. I see. I see. Yeah. 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 Those are, there are, are very subtle annoyances or, or idiosyncrasies that we all have. Right. <laughs> exactly. That It's so true. So true. Like don't announce that I'm in my robe and slippers. Uh, yeah. 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 Ooh, so you're not dressed yet. <laughs> I mean, like if I come out, I must think I'm okay. So I don't really need you commenting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So one of the challenges I 
uh, get from patients is uh, hygiene. It's mm -hmm. a biggie. It's Mom a biggie. doesn't want to shower. I had to lift up my uncle and literally throw him in the bathtub. And I liken it to lack of purpose. You yeah. know, I find so many patients are on this full court press to retirement age. And then as soon as they, I can't tell you how many patients I've had that say on day 536, I'm retired from the railroad yeah. and then oh, everything goes yeah. downhill from there. It's like, that was what gave my, I mean, here's a reality check. I was operating on habit and routine. And when you took away my habit and routine, there was a lot of loss underneath that. It was really not noticeable because I was using that ritual that I was going through every day. There was such a habituation to it. My hippocampal memory of this is what you do every day. This is what you do every day. This is what, and then suddenly that's missing. I don't have any structure to hang anything on. There's no reason for it. And then after a while, it's like, there's no reason for bothering. And, you know, you think, oh yeah, now we're going to do all this other stuff, but that's a lot of new to learn. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. We gradually shifted away from ability state. People have no idea how to start something new at that point because they, they're not initiators. Those folks who retired from that long-term job, they weren't good at initiation. They were good at maintenance. They did a lot of maintenance, but now the, where's the maintenance? Mm. And now somebody starts trying to shove someone else into something like a shower, total, a total body experience. Like, you know, I'm just going to come in and take your clothes off you and then <laughs> touch you all over and run you underwater. It's like, who thinks that's going to be a fun experience? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you usually have to get to first base before you go all the way, guys. You know, and it's just like, I get it. From your perspective, it's care. From my perspective, it's intrusive. Yeah, yeah. So what? It, so do you suggest variety for us at this stage in, of life so that there mm -hmm. is a variety, that work-life balance? So that is, I, I, my hunch is mm -hmm. that as a cohort, we're totally going to be different. Like, I'll mm -hmm. be in the home, like, where's my shower? Or, yeah, is yep. there sushi? Is there, you know, so our, our cohort is going to be different. That age cohort really does make a difference, too. But we will also find that over time, with changing bodies, we get a little more hesitant about, you know, like as your skin dries and you get into this next 20 years, your brain is going to go, no, I don't want to wet it again. Lord, the last thing I know would need, you know, it's just gotten so fragile. It doesn't take much where I'll, if I get scratched, man, no, leave it alone. It's getting ashy is my <laughs> friend of mine would say, it's getting ashy. Don't <laughs> wet it again. <laughs> it's like, okay, little did I know. <laughs> like, you know, so what we assume we will be like by the time we get there, we might actually be shifting. And that's where people are surprised. Well, she always said she wanted a shower every day. And so that's what I'm going to give her. And it's like, well, now she seems to be in a different place. Let's look at washing up. Let's see how washing up goes first. And then say, you know what? Ooh, I think this has one of those rain mists. Feel to see what you think of it. This is that real soft one. We think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they have some power over that decision making. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because, you know, what I thought I wanted and now what I turn out to want, that may even change. And that's tricky because you know, that's where carers are like, but she always said to pluck her chin hairs. <laughs> it's like, well, get your hands off of me. It's like, yeah. but mom. <laughs> yeah. 
I think for me personally, with my own mother, my mom is a nurse. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm so sorry. Seed, exactly. She's the seed that planted this whole, you know, medical climate for, Ooh, yeah. for her own daughter. And so in my mind, it's, you know, better. What do you mean? What do you, you know? So that has been definitely a grieving for myself along the continuum. Yeah. And for her, it's also a grieving, but we don't recognize it. We see her anger, but we miss the grieving. Like I brought you in this world. How (laughs) dare you? You are not the boss of me. And that, that ability to say, mom, you're absolutely right. I am so sorry. I was trying to help. I know when I need to take a shower. Yes, ma'am. You have always known when you needed to wash up. And I apologize. That was, you know, I only had one cookie. Oh, one cookie. Wow. I had thought it was a few more than that. I am so sorry. I really, I saw the empty box and I really, (laughs) because it is allowing me to say, I saw the empty box and I thought you had had more. And it's like, and you did. But I can let it go because it's like, and she doesn't recall it at all. <laughs> yes, yes. So what, what is Tipa's legacy? <sighs> um, seeing the, I'm hoping it's seeing the person first and the dementia second. Because I think if we cannot see the human, that human being that we're trying to support, um, and, and what we look at first, we always see their dementia first. I think it robs both of us of opportunities to be present with one another, because I've got to find you as a human being before I, I try to treat you as someone with a condition. Um, and, you know, it's just it's so hard because, well, yeah, but I want my mom back. Understood. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. I want mine back, too, but she's gone. And so, you know, we have to to let go of what we can't have, to celebrate what's possible. And I'm only going to be able to see the, the moments of joy when I can let go of what I'm missing. And I've, I've got to let it go so I can see the possibilities. And I'm hoping that becomes something that until there's a cure, there's care becomes that thing that people get. I mean, I don't have the cure, but I do know how we how we provide support and care can be really, really different for both of us when we can let go of what I can't have anymore. Absolutely. Is that, does that come from your experience with your grandpa or with your sister? Oh my heavens. Um, from the, the real person who helped me get to this place was when I was a young N.A. Because there was no C back right. when I was an N.A. <laughs> you followed somebody around for three days and you got your list of names and you got your um, we didn't even wear gloves back then. And none of the none of the sanitary products were disposable. You wrung them out in the hopper and you, you know, you wrung them out and then you threw them in the dirty laundry, you washed your hands and went back to work. I mean, yeah. <laughs> no gloves, no glory. But what I would say is Miss um, Jackson was one of my my most powerful teachers, Miss Miss Jackson was um, a, a, like a very small four foot eight woman, four foot ten woman, African American in the northern part of North Carolina, a cinder block nursing home. And Miss Jackson, probably more than most people, taught me the art of um, respecting my my person and realizing they always know something. And I've got to be really careful that I stay curious and not make assumptions. 
Mm, um, mm, mm. because she Bible slapped me. Now, if you've ever been Bible slapped with a leather <laughs> colored Bible, it will raise welts that say Holy Bible in reverse. <laughs> and she only did it when I when I got in her face and said, now, Miss Jackson, we don't talk like that. And I, I was 18. I went, Miss Jackson, we do not talk like that. <laughs> Bible slapped me because um, she had shingles. And I didn't, we didn't know that at the time because she had dementia. And she was behaving in such an erratic, irrational way. And up till then, I am really well with her. And I got cocky. And so I was sure I understood because she was, you know, like she was had her nightgown and had her sheet up around her and had her teddy bear and her water pitcher and her Bible. And she said, I need you to carry me to see Mr. Dukes. I'm like, Miss Jackson, tell you what, let's get you fixed. Let's just come back back in. And let's say, no, I need you to carry to see Mr. Dukes now. Come on, girl. And she called me girl, which should have been a warning, you know, <laughs> Miss Jackson, come on, let me just help you out. I said, and she called me a white whore in bitch. <laughs> she said, now y'all carry me or get out, hell out of my way. And I said, now, Miss Jackson, we don't talk like that. <laughs> that was when she bottles at me. Wow. I went to the nurse and said, Miss Jackson's on a dare. You need to give her something. And sure enough, we shot her up with hell to paranol. Because back then it was just like, again. Mm-hmm. And then I came in the next day, you know, I cared for her. She was totally wiped out because, of course, she was only, she weighed nothing. Right. Came back the next day and they said, I said, well, where's Miss Jackson? She goes, oh, she's at the hospital. She had, shing- turns out she has shingles, two duoderms all the way around. Wow. The pain. Mm-hmm. Yep. And she wanted me to carry her to see Mr. Dukes, which in Southern speaks, Duke University Medical Center ran a clinic for populations like sharecrop families. Um, and this was in Northern, up in right up North, up in 95, 85. And this was, they would have, people would have carried her down to Duke University Medical Center to the clinic to find out what was wrong. She's asked me to take her to the hospital. How about that? Took me two weeks to finally figure it out. And when I did, you know, I went in and I knelt down. I'm so sorry. I didn't understand because everybody had anticipated she was just hard to work with. And I had never found her hard to work with because I used um, my grandma was Southern Baptist. So we used a lot of songs to get going and prayer to get gone. And that would get her going with me. And I didn't have any trouble. But mm-hmm. yeah, how about it? So and for you know, me, that's a lesson in in our in our climate in medicine uh-huh. as well that you know you have to listen to the patient like yeah. there's so many narratives written on people oh they're here all the time they're an alcoholic they're a drug seeker yeah. they're a this they're a that and so then you just buy that narrative over time you read the yeah. chart and you follow along you yeah. yeah instead of creating she your has own. dementia there's no way she i mean she had obs back then mm-hmm. of course mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. um and it was like no she was really smart she knew she was really sick. She knew she needed help. She knew I was the girl from church um, that would come. And she she was hoping that I'd carry her to the doctors. And oh, things like that. That's powerful. That for me, that was a turning point. That Absolutely. was really. It stayed with that you was all those years. Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> that, was, that was so not okay. Yeah, you know? I get it. I get it. Yeah. What do you do for fun? How do you unload? 
<laughs> I love to go outside and do things like rake yard, clean up, go on hikes, go um, go out exploring things, bike riding. Um, I like uh, going and seeing things and investigating things. I like making things. I love to bake. Nice. I, I like What's your favorite color. dish? Oh, anything. I, I, I really like making just about anything. I like experimenting a little bit, but I also love that people will eat what I make. So <laughs> um, I make costumes for the grandkids. I I haven't done horseback riding in forever because, you know, it's not readily accessible. I used to do a little horse riding from when I was a kid, too. Uh-huh. Um, uh, let's see. I'm I like lots of, I love to read. I like to knit crochet. I like hand, I'm like one of those people that likes, I like reconstructing things and constructing things. Nice. Um, Yeah. Well, I I am so appreciative of your time. I really am. I really am. I thank you. For well, so what, I, what do you do? See, this was one way you're supposed to, you're supposed to share here. So what's your, what's your favorite thing to do to decompress? Well, you know that I've come to this aha moment over the last couple of weeks, actually, because I sing, there's a whole artistic side to my life yeah. that I've held on to tightly you know, as you get pulled further and further away Uh in this kind of clinical tunnel vision. (laughs) And uh, so I'm repurposing that aspect of myself again. Cool. Yeah. So, yeah, I enjoy music and... Yeah, the only thing I can't do is line dance. I'm not, I I can't do line dancing. Oh, dear heavens. Really? I don't know my left (laughs) or my right at all. Really? It makes no sense to me whatsoever. I can't do left, right. Oh, Oh. embarrassing. Suddenly everybody's looking at you. It's like, and this, I turned the wrong way, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know what they say, dance like no one's watching, right? (laughs) Yeah, I can do that part. You really, truly shouldn't be watching. <laughs> so how does someone find you? Um, website. We have, I mean, well, you can do lots of different things. Website, tipasnow.com. Okay. Straight up and down. Um, we have Facebook. We have, oh, we have YouTube. We have TikTok. We have, oh, I don't know. You name all the platforms. We're on them all. Nice. Um, my name is weird enough. And that came from working with a little boy with a developmental disability. So, how about it? Yeah. Does it have a meaning, Tipa? Tipa, well, my given name was T-E-E-N-A, which my mom thought was a clever way to spell Tina, which isn't. It's just hard for people to understand. <laughs> but then Michael couldn't say Tina. He'd go, hey, Tipa, tell me the toy, because he had uh, autism and a speech problem. And so pretty much all my friends started calling me Tipa, and then it everybody called me Tipa. So I eventually legally changed it and made it Tipa. So it's awesome. a given name from a little boy named Michael. How about it? Look at you. I love it. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And I look forward to a long partnership. Great information right from the source. For more information on how to care give like a boss, check out impactfulcaregiving.com. Want to be a guest on the show? Contact us at carepod at impactfulcaregiving.com.